The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. You're listening to KFWB News Talk 980. Do you have adventurous taste? Well, we're sure here to spice up your life. We hope you'll join us every Sunday for insightful commentary on everything delicious. We have everything for food lovers from recipes to menu planning, food news, restaurant news, wine and travel information. And we hope you'll make us your radio destination for truly delicious conversation. You can find us serving up seconds at chefjamie.com on the web. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. We believe that food is life, so create and savor yours. And call in, weigh in on our culinary question of the day. If you could hang out in anyone's kitchen, whose would it be? If you could hang out in anyone's kitchen, sit on their uh, stool at the island, if you could stand by their stove or uh, smell the wafts of beautiful aroma from their oven, whose would it be? I would go back to Julia's Julia Child's kitchen if I could and uh, take an opportunity to learn something new from her. Weigh in. Phone lines are open. 888-KFWB-980. Toll free 888-539-2980. This is my culinary playground. And coming up this hour, we're going to make you a better cook. Make your dishes come alive with flavor and make your morning Joe that much better. Stay tuned because the Supreme Beans coffee guru Jeff Cheen is going to Help us brew a better cup of Java. Also coming up later this hour, beer sommelier Sam Merritt is getting us into the St. Patrick's Day mood, getting the party started with the virtues of stout. And be sure to check out the website at chefjamie.com where you can celebrate the Emerald Emerald Isle with Guinness in every dish. Lana and I collected our best Guinness recipes. Good morning to you, Lana. Your uh, homemade spicy Guinness mustard is a hit, by the way. And it's posted on the website, and I can't wait to get more of it. Oh, good. It's a terrific... Uh... On a it is terrific on a corned beef sandwich. Oh, definitely so. And the Guinness fried oysters and the Guinness and brown sugar corned beef, not so bad. You want to buy the best quality corned beef that you can here in Southern California? Well, it's at Bristol Farms. I had an opportunity to taste their corned beef the end of last week, and I will tell you that was so flavorful, lean but with the perfect amount of fat for the mouthfeel and. I will say, one of the best corned beefs I've had. So check it out. They're on special this week at Bristol Farms. All right, speaking of St. Patrick's Day, uh, we're going to dish on some more delicious recipe ideas for next Saturday. Um, but first, we'll kick it off with a conversation about healthy foods, healthy ingredients. This is the time of year, spring, where we always suggest that you revamp your pantry, right? This is the time when you can update your pantry to really add a, a freshness to it. And we're all about natural products because it is a booming business. Natural uh, foods, in fact, has grown to $115 billion in sales, a 6% increase uh, from last year. And Lana and I were at the Natural Products Expo yesterday 
yesterday. It drew about 3,000 people when it began in Anaheim in 1981. And yesterday, Lana, they expected 60,000 food lovers, which is quite an incredible increase. Uh, The natural products industry does continue to grow. And if you want to get real and get healthy, whether you just incorporate a couple of new health-oriented items into your diet or you've decided to go vegan or raw or gluten-free, then these are the products that you want to add to your eating regimen. This is what is next in the world of health food. So, uh, Lana, let's kick off our top 10 new healthy finds from the natural food Foods Expo, and they're not in any particular order. These are our top 10. We'll start with the Miller Family Farm uh, gluten-free flour with flax. Um, Impressive that there are lots of gluten-free flours out there. This one in particular is being processed by a family farm in North Dakota that is six generations old. And from the heartland, they have an all-purpose gluten-free flour that has flaxseed. It was super delicious. Delicious, and we really loved that pancake oh, that they made. Made a marvelous pancake. I agree. And these are family farmers, which really makes a difference. Very high in omega, whole grain, and a cup-to-cup measurement that I think is most important for bakers. If you don't have to do any calculation, then it'll be easier than ever to substitute a gluten-free product. So um, look for premium gold, all-purpose gluten-free flour on the shelves of your favorite store. Uh, We were delighted to see our very good friends from Bar Harbor Foods at the show, and we're excited to tell you that Bar Harbor Foods seafood out of Maine is only getting better with the addition of maple syrup. This is their newest product, the skinless, boneless, smoked sardine fillets in maple syrup. And you are a fan, correct, Lana? Oh, God, they're fabulous. <laughs> they Just really are. Put them out with some sliced bread. It's a fabulous appetizer. For anyone that likes smoked seafood, if you love smoked mussels or smoked clams in a can, this is the new generation. High in omega-3, high in protein and calcium, natural wood smoke, um, a great protein alternative. So we're going to come to talking about the new virtues of seafood in a can, but look for the Bar Harbor products, products from um, Mike and Cynthia Cody out of Maine. This is fresh East Coast seafood that is canned and so flavorful and all natural and really impressive products fresh from the Gulf of Maine. Look for Bar Harbor. We also found a new dairy line that we were most impressed by. It's called Clover Organic. And if you're looking for organic milk, they say that this is quite possibly the cleanest milk in the U.S., American Humane Certified. They have a kefir, which is the beautiful richness of yogurt, but in a smooth, drinkable form, very, very high in all the acidophilus and the the good virtues of dairy. So look for Clover Organic Farms Kefir at a store near you and hopefully at Bristol Farms soon as well. One of the products that you found, Lana, which I loved, was what they call happiness in a bowl. The name truly enticed me. It's a chicken and waffle pie. Yes. Anything with waffle in it is my kind of food. It is your kind of food. So bring it on. It's in the frozen food section, and it's a fourth-generation family business, gluten-free. They also make a gluten-free chicken pot pie that I thought was really impressive. There was nothing gelatinous about the sauce. As you mentioned, the gravy 
was really smooth. Oh, it's so right on. And it's an upside down chicken and waffle pie, and it's made with organic sweet mashed potatoes. It was truly delicious. That's the second of their Marvelous. three products that all come frozen from Blake's in the frozen food section. It's like low-fat comfort food, really. And by the way, Dr. Oz likes it. So, you know, now you have to taste it. Okay, uh, coming up also on the top 10 list of new products from the Natural Foods Expo, a dairy-free cheese. For those of you with a, a lactose intolerance, this is the best melting cheese I have tasted. Uh, it is by Deya, and it's lactose and soy-free. They make a cheddar. They had a mozzarella style and a jalapeno jack, and we tasted everything from a panini to a quesadilla to a turkey sandwich to a piece of pizza. So from the slice to the melt, that was really impressive. We've seen over the years a lot of cheeses that have aspired to melting in the dairy-free category, and unfortunately, they they just haven't hit the mark, and this one did. They really got it down pat. That they do. Mm-hmm. There's a jalapeno cream cheese puff that's really yummy from a product called Gaytan, G-A-Y-T-A-N. Look for it. If you love cheese puffs, this is an all-natural version. And spicy. Oh, packs a punch. <laughs> so delicious. Also, if you like crunch, well, then this is the product for you. Wait, let me dig it out of my natural foods bag, Lana, so that we can snack during the show. This is the coolest thing. Okay, Durky, oh. move over. Everybody knows a Durky onion, right? It comes in a package or a can, or it used to at least, and it was the quintessential topper to a quiche when I was growing up. But it went all natural now. And from a company called Loeb's, there is an onion crunch. It is like the best of the fried onion topping you love. Mm-hmm. In a container. Pretty cool, right? And you can look for onion crunch on the shelves of your favorite market. King Arthur Flour, another one of our favorite health-driven companies, has come out with a gluten-free boxed cake mix and brownie mix that was so moist and super tasty. I would say half the show, at least, was gluten-free and organic. Yes, I Very would have to agree with you. Very and lots of gluten-free. I think the markets will be carrying a tremendous product line. I agree. And more protein bars than I've ever seen in my whole mm-hmm. life. And then uh, we want to mention to you uh, that there is a new tofu out from Nasoya, rich with antioxidants called Tofu Plus. And if you're looking for new sources of calcium and protein, it's from the black soybean. And we're starting to see that black soybean come here from Asia, more prevalent um, than ever in US in the U.S. market and really delicious for those of you that are tofu lovers. And then last but not least, we saw a tremendous amount of products themed with coconut oil. You have heard and read recently from the New York Times article from Dr. Oz, Dr. Andrew Weil, a supporter as well, how the benefits of coconut oil are being reported. They say that research has come from people suffering from Alzheimer's disease. There are reports of improving or reversing the effects of Alzheimer's from coconut oil. Uh, Type 3 form of diabetes uh, is... Oh, type 1 and type 2, rather, diabetes, type 3 form of Alzheimer's, excuse me, being benefited from coconut oil. Um, We're seeing coconut oil boost metabolism, promote thyroid, uh, help you increase the health benefits and the quality of the other foods that you eat in your diet. And so look for coconut oil everywhere. We found a product from Kalapa called a coconut oil. 
oil stick and it's a healthier way to cook. It looks just like butter. And if you want to boost your energy and support your heart, substitute coconut oil for the butter and olive oil in your cooking and let us know how it turns out. Those are the top 10 products from the Natural Foods Expo 2012, a delicious way to add new healthy additions to your diet. And if you'd like more information, you can always email us. We'll send you our list live at chefjamie.com. When we come back, we're making a better cup of joe. Get your morning coffee cup ready. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. Be right back. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions. So they've got to find those extra cups to fill. You're waking up with Chef Jamie Gwen and Lana, KFWB News Talk 980. And this morning we're in search of the supreme bean. And yes, we found it. He is Jeff Cheen, the principal and chief coffee guy of Supreme Bean, a gourmet coffee roaster here in Southern California, along with Groundwork, another company you'll find is the brand name on a truly delicious cup of Joe. We're talking all about Java. And while coffee doesn't always make work better, you can definitely work to get a better cup of coffee. So we're going to talk everything from French presses to how to make the hotel machine coffee taste even better. We've got a wealth of tips for enjoying a better cup. And we're very glad to have you back on the radio, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Okay, so um, I'm not awake enough this morning. (laughs) So if you would start out by sharing some of the best tips for purchasing coffee and how long we can store the beans we just bought. Sure thing. Well, you want to look for the freshest possible coffee that you can find. And actually, if you find the groundwork product over in Humberstle Farms on the the, uh, racks out there, you'll see it's all roasted within a week or so of, of it being put on on the shelf. But there are other ways to find that as well. Once you get your fresh coffee, my personal method of uh, storing it is putting it into suspended animation into the freezer. I know there's a lot of controversy about this uh, online, but the fact is that you can put that coffee in the freezer into a nice airtight and, and waterproof container, and it'll be just as fresh as the day you bought it. I thought that the refrigerator and the freezer were a no-no. Refrigerator's a no-no. You want to get as close to absolute zero as you can, which is okay. why you go to the freezer. Great story. Yes. Uh, my old mother-in-law in Chicago, she, came, she was out here on a trip, gave her a pound of coffee. A year later, I'm sitting in her kitchen, and, and she says, oh, I'll make you some coffee. I'm like, great. So I see this bag of coffee puffing up like it's fresh on the counter. She makes me this cup of coffee. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I felt like I just walked in on my wife uh, with another guy. I'm like, Mom, where did you get this coffee? I, I could have brought you coffee. She said, oh, you gave this to me a year ago. It's been sitting in her freezer for a year, and the bag and it's degassing as though it were brand new and fresh. Wow. Okay, I'm really impressed now because we all learn something new, myself included, every time we have an expert like yourself on. And now I have to move all of my Supreme Bean coffee, which, by the way, we're drinking in studio this morning because Lana and I are very loyal. And uh, so we will move, I will move all my coffee oh, to the right. freezer. I mean, that's, a, that's not too geeky, but it's called sublimation. It's sublimation. Sublimation. No, we like, we like food geeks. <laughs> Yeah, okay, no, good. we're all in the same family. I have a question for you. Sure. Um, I would like to know if it's true if older coffee beans tend to appear oilier or if you can actually determine if you're buying from a bin the age of the coffee bean. Well, I mean, sometimes it takes time for the oils to express through the bean, and that's true. The older a bean will get, you'll see more oil, okay. uh, depending on the roast. But typically you'll get a smell. It's the smell of the coffee oils that are on the coffee actually rancifying. I know it sounds grosser than it is. You know, and with coffee, it's not so much a health issue as, as a taste and quality issue. So you get that weird rubbery smell. 
then you know that the beans are old. And it yeah. affects the balance and the flavor of the cup. Absolutely. Because fact, it starts you, with the bean. When you brew your coffee in the morning, one way you can tell is if you're using a method like an open cone method like Melita or the Chemex that we'll talk about a little bit later is if the coffee rises, the grounds rise when you pour the hot water on it, that's how you know it's fresh. If it immediately sinks into like a little sinkhole, then you know it's old. That's so great to know. That's a good tip. This is like my hard-boiled egg tip. You know, before you make hard-boiled eggs, you're always to determine how fresh the egg is. You never want it to sink. Exactly. And you never want it to float. So it's right in between the same with the coffee grounds. We know that we are supposed to grind our beans immediately before any form of brewing and that you're never supposed to grind more than you're actually going to use, right? right? Mm -hmm. But what is the best process for brewing? And is French press out? Well, no, French press isn't out. It's a matter of taste. I mean, and so if you like that really full mouthfeel, I do. Uh, then, then you want to go French press or even something called AeroPress, which is a, it's a little, I want to say like an accordion type of action where that you have a tube that you press one end down and compresses the water under pressure and you, you get a French press flavor without, without really a French press. We tasted it in Italy, Lana. Do you remember? Oh, we that did. was what was on the table and I called mm-hmm. it an accordion press. Mm-hmm. Okay, tasted delicious, Jeff. If you like a little cleaner taste, like I do, I like, I like the Chemex, which is like a Melita. It's a glass beaker. Right, it looks like you're chemist. in a lab. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. in fact, it was developed by a chemist who, was after World War II, and he would stay up late at night in the labs doing whatever chemists would do during World War II, and they would use chemical-grade or laboratory-grade paper to filter out the coffee. It's a beautiful, smooth, balanced cup. It really, it really highlights the acidity and, and, and all the flavors that you want to find in the coffee. As important as that, you got to look at the water you're putting in there. Ninety-eight and a half percent or more of a cup of water is of a cup of coffee, rather, is water. Right. So you want to look for something out of the tap, depending on where you live. It could be okay. Berkeley, great water. New York, I hear, is great water. I've never measured it. But if you're living out in Southern California, you're going to need to have some sort of, not just filtered, but some sort of purified and hopefully remineralized water. Okay, so if we didn't have a coffee filter, a water filtration system, rather, excuse me, in our own kitchen sink, what could we buy? Well, you go uh, to supplement into a supermarket. I mean, right? I'm sure in Bristol you find something where Arrowhead has a line of coffee, a water, which says remineralize for flavor. Oh, and that's what we should be using to brew our coffee and tea. Sure, and even if and that, you don't have that, just the spring, the spring water is really. Is a good substitute. Terrific. That's why he is a licensed Q grader, one of the most (laughs) highly regarded qualifications in the entire coffee industry. And if you've just tuned in, it's because you haven't had your morning cup of joe. You're late. Jeff Cheen is here. He is our resident coffee expert. And we are brewing a better cup no matter how you brew. One of the things that I really like about the beaker method that you mentioned is it's not an expensive contraption. We're not suggesting that you go buy a $350 machine. Right. This is a very simple glass carafe or beaker that a specific paper filter fits into and you pour hot water over to get what I consider like a very old-fashioned drip method, but a very pure, rich, beautifully balanced, smooth, smooth cup of coffee. I I also believe it. it, it, Look, we live in a really busy world, Jamie, right? You know, and you could take the process to almost make it into a ritual of your morning. Hmm. To put a yes, comma in between waking up and heading out to work. Take the time to sit there and prepare your coffee by hand. Because if you're using a beaker, you need to do it that way. It's not where you push a button and it brews. You can walk away and you come back. It's not a French press where you put the water in, you push it down, and it's ready to go. It's a process. And you have to sit there and 
smell it brewing. It's beautiful. And you can see it coming down and nice mm. thick viscous uh, fluid. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's a nice little ritual in the morning. A yeah. nice way to consider enjoying the morning. Mm-hmm. Jeff, is there any way to make hotel coffee taste better? You know the small little brewer inside your hotel room when we travel? Yeah. Well, well what I do actually is I just use those machines to heat the water up. And um, I, it's hard to travel with water these days, as you know, getting through the uh, yeah, airport security. Yeah, security. Sure, but um, I use it to heat the water up. Sometimes if I don't have my own coffee, I think I, that I am. I try to travel with my own coffee. I'll take the packets open, and I'll tear it open, and I'll put it into a Chemex that I take with me, or a Chemex, uh, like a Hario, which is Hario is another type of uh, company from Japan, where it's a, a, a cone with a big fat hole at the bottom that you put a number two filter in. Oh, so you could actually fake the process of a Chemex in your hotel room? Mm-hmm. Oh, you are a coffee geek. You well, really I, are, and I love it. more than a bad cup of coffee. No, and that's very true. And, and if you're not up and ready for the day, then it does change, you know, the way you go about uh, getting through the day itself. Okay, tell us, um, with just a couple of minutes left here, what is new in the world of coffee? What can we expect in new varietals, new areas, regions? Well, what you're going to find, I think, coming out of a lot of roasters uh, at the higher end are going to be lighter roasts than you might be used to seeing. And um, not like uh, up to what we call pre-second crack. And, and those sort of roasts, what they do is they, they uh, exemplify the acidity in, uh, in the coffee. It doesn't take it to the second crack where you start to get the caramelization of the sugars, but, but you start getting really interesting flavors when you, when you stop just prior. Um, I just got back from a, a purchasing trip in Honduras in the Capucas region and um, had some really amazing coffees there. And, and the way that we tried them, well, when you're cupping, when you're tasting, you do a cowboy style in a bowl. You pour the grounds in, you pour hot water over it, and slurp it with a spoon. I hope you don't get too much into your mouth while you're, while you're slurping there. But some of the ways we were making it, there was a couple other guys, and, and we, we all brought our own little implements of destruction for coffee and, and made our coffee. And we were tasting how this one coffee tasted through various methods of, of, of brewing. So you'll see what works for you guys in terms of finding the right coffee, the right method of brewing, and what, what tastes best to you. I think that's a terrific idea. Uh, what is the flavor profile, Jeff, of the Honduran coffee? I would call it archetypical central in terms of high acidity. It's got a very nice floral note to it and uh, sort of a nutty flavor that develops towards the middle. And uh, even and, and not, the body's okay. It's not so great. But the acidity is, is really crisp and, 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 and there's a sweetness to it. Mm, how nice. I think I would like that. Wait, we, it's on the water. We should see it in about a month. Oh, we can't wait. And where will we find it? Give us a website if we want to learn more about a better bean, sure. please. www.groundworkcoffee.com. We got it. Jeff Cheen, our resident coffee expert, teaching you. you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. To yeah. brew a better cup. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, we're going to take a few quick sips during this break and try to wake up even further. There is more delicious conversation in your radio. Don't go away. Okay, it's time we had a serious talk about what you'll be drinking on St. Patrick's Day. Sure, we love the novelty of green beer as much as you do, but it's a bit lacking in the flavor department, don't you think? March 17th is one of the biggest drinking holidays of the year. Guinness sells 10 million glasses of beer daily around the world and far more on St. Patrick's Day. But what's your beer IQ? What should you know about stouts and IPAs when you try to break through the crowd at your neighborhood Irish pub next Saturday night? 
Well, certified Cicerone, he's a beer sommelier. Sam Merritt joins us of civilizationofbeer.com. He's our beer guru. It's pre-holiday, and he's getting us prepared. Good morning, Sam. We're glad to have you back on the radio. Sriracha, chef. Sriracha. <laughs> nice to have you with Lana and I. And I should yeah, say... Yeah, nice to be back. Yes, thank you. I should say... Slanti, right? In Gaelic, it means cheers. And with St. Patty's Day upcoming, I thought it was rather appropriate. Yes, lancha. Uh, and there's a joke. It says, you know, uh, it's a lawn chair, as patio furniture would say. Salon <laughs> chair. I uh, like it. Okay, good. So now that we have the sayings down, um, let's we get the... a joke under our belts. That's right. A joke under our belts. Let's get the beers <sighs> down, Pat, because okay. there is going to be a lot of Irish beer being poured from the tap but also some mm-hmm. choices if you choose to drink at home. So give us the lowdown. Raise our beer IQ, please, on stout. Okay. Um, I think the, the biggest question I usually get about stout is what's the difference between porter and stout? Um, because those are two you know, pretty similar styles. Both of them are very dark. Um, but the porter is the precursor to the stout. So um, the porters were came about in London, uh, in the 1800s to 1700s, and uh, the Irish brewers turned and saw how popular the porters were getting and made their own version of stout called Extra Stout Porter. And later on, uh, it was a stronger, fuller-bodied beer than the London porters. And later on, the, the name was shortened to just stout. Uh, so it's uh, it's basically a you know, uh, the rowdy little brother of the, the porter, of the porter. Uh, in terms of style. Yeah, so porter came first, then stout. They're always going to be dark. There's many, many different types of stout out there. There's oatmeal stouts, imperial stouts, dry Irish stouts, uh, chocolate stouts. There's milk stouts and sweet stouts. And Irish so got cream? A lot. Irish cream stout, one of my favorites. Yeah, cream stout, that's, uh, you know, you could consider that a nitrogenated one, and those are the ones that are poured, you know, with the cascade, and you have to wait for them. Um, but, yeah, there's cream stouts, and then there's just, the, you know, the most popular, of course, is that, uh, as far as this country, uh, on draft is the Guinness Dry Stout. And you can and you can find Guinness on tap at your favorite Irish pub for St. Patrick's Day. We also spoke about last time you were here um, something that I'm very taken with, and that is the canned drought, which comes from a pressurized container which has the widget, which is trying mm. to make Guinness taste better at home. Yeah, those those actually uh, do a great job of of you know replicating that that pub pour. Uh, it's pretty involved the system. Uh, to pour it, uh, but you know most most places have been trained by the Guinness folks to do it well. And uh, there's a, there's a few things to look for, uh, you know, when you go out and order it. But one of the one of the tried and true ways is to look at the glass, and if there's bubbles along the side of the glass, it's not clean. And um, the, the head should be just proud of the rim and and uh, very very uniform. There's uh, what we call the fish eyes in them. Where there's just a big bubble, that's not good. So that means so that a, the pour wasn't right on. And there are 10,000, by the way, certified beer servers across the country now. They're 10, beer 000, sommeliers, 10, and essentially 10,000 because of you, Sam, and the fact that you are spreading the joy of beer across the country. So if it wasn't poured properly, we'll see the fish eyes, we'll see the the wrong 
amount of foam or froth on the top? How do we get it right? Well, you go to a place where a lot of people are drinking Guinness because <laughs> they know a lot. You know, the people that like Guinness, they love Guinness. So, if you you know if you're at a place where it's very popular, chances are they're pouring it well. Um, but they have a a very specific method that they teach their retailers about. You know, the proper way to pour the the beer and. Uh, they're very specific. Uh, for example, it, it's supposed to take from start to finish 119 and a half seconds. And a half. Um, and a half, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they're very particular, which is nice because you have to start someplace, you know, and you might as well get all the little aspects right and then you can tell who's really doing it well. But, uh, I think that's very impressive. That, I think the half a yeah, second. Oh, they're an impressive company. Yeah. I, yeah, I work, uh, I work the with them high. a lot. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's a good example. The brewery should have a hand in the last and final presentation of the product, which is, of course, in the glass of the customer. I agree, I agree. And it doesn't just have to be Guinness in the world of stout. It can be uh, Murphy's Pub Stout or Murphy's Irish Red or Smithwick's. Mm -hmm. And I mention Irish Cream because I tasted the Wexford's Irish Cream Stout, as did Lana, just this past okay. week, in advance of St. Patrick's Day, it's one of the featured beers for St. Patty's Day available at Bristol Farms, our gourmet supermarket. Oh, nice. And I found out that it's based on a recipe similar to one that was brewed back in 1810. I love the history of this holiday and the history of beers like stouts and porters that really have a long line of family focus, a long line of consistency, a, a, a mm-hmm. great history behind them. Yeah, and one of the things, I, I'm, I'm just reading a wonderful new book called Diary of a Part-Time Monk by a, a brewer named Jay Wilson from Iowa, or I'm sorry, Ohio. Ohio. And he turns, and he, he, he discusses some of the fundamental differences between beer and wine, which I thought was pretty neat. And just speaking to the history, there are certain years where the wine has been incredible, like, you know, in 1964 or something is, really a known, I think, year for Bordeaux or something. And and once those are gone, it's gone, and it's just vanished. It's like almost being extinct. But with the beer, you can sometimes try to create what, what happened, you know, 200 years ago and get it pretty good because, you know, they wrote down all the recipes and stuff. So that's kind of a fun thing about it is that you're, you're really experiencing something that other people did many, many, many years ago. You yeah, know? you could consider it keeping the legend alive, you know, doing your part, sure, yeah. Lana. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to know, are the artisanal beers of today similar to the beers of 200 years ago? Um, you know, in, in ways they are. Uh, you know, it's it's things are a lot cleaner now and a lot, lot uh, easier, I think, to... I think things are a lot more approachable in terms of uh, maybe the simplicity of the product is probably... I think things more were a little bit harder to drink uh, back then, and a little bit more complex than we're used to. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, a lot of the craft people, especially, you know, there's a huge movement to do a lot more barrel aging of things in all kinds of, you know, barrels that had former residency of wine and whiskey and rum and mm-hmm. and all and bourbon and all these things. So just putting things into a barrel. 
uh, will bring you back a hundred years. I love this uh, idea of former residency. It's, oh yeah, it's we like talk a, about the residency. Yeah, the previous residence. Exactly. You're talking about like a cognac residence. barrel, right? Yeah, or you can take a cognac barrel, barrel and mm-hmm. and then Scotch and then of course there's there's microorganisms in all of those barrels. So whoever's there is going to join the party and make a pretty authentically. You know, old school beer. Bring it (laughs) on. I love that. Speaking of joining the party, there are some very Mm. classic combinations to stout. Uh, One of Mm, them is the oyster stout combination. And if you would, share with us what you think are your best food pairings for some of these bigger, richer, thicker, Mm. heavier beers. The dry stout, the most popular is that nitrogenated. Um, Around the world, though, just speaking to, for instance, the Guinness brand, their foreign extra stout is 70% of their business, which is a, a very strong beer. It's, you know, usually over 7%, sometimes over 8%. So the dry stouts are between 4 and 5%. That's their, that's their realm, whereas some of the other stouts are huge. But let's start on the lighter side of things with the dry stout. And the nitrogenated stouts, the Murphy's and the Guinness uh, and the, um, you know, those, those brands, um, you're looking at a, a pretty light-bodied beer. Uh, a very, very light body beer and a low alcohol beer. So they do have bitterness. A lot of uh, the bitterness is contributed by the roast of the malt. And so you've got hop bitterness and roast bitterness. And at the same time with those beers, because they're nitrogenated, the bubbles give you this sensation of creaminess, mm. which immediately triggers in your mind sweetness. Yes. So they're balanced not only through their through their ingredients, but also through the body of the beer itself. Um, so that said, they bring sweetness and they bring bitterness, but the creaminess is a, it's a creamy sort of, you know, soft uh, sweetness. So the way that the, that the classic combination of porter and oysters and stout and oysters came about is simply because oysters were plentiful where the porters were working, which is at the docks. Oh, man, it was before cool. all the water was polluted. So it was a, it was just an economic necessity. It was like that was a, the protein available. Cows were much more expensive to eat. And so it was oysters everywhere. It was oysters in New York. It was oysters in London. And right. Else. And we'll take so it. A, Pause yeah. there. We're going to take a quick break as well. Okay. The oyster cool. stout combos and some of the bigger beers and what to eat yeah. when we come back. Sam Merritt, okay. certified Cicerone, civilizationofbeer.com. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. We're spreading the beer gospel. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana, Sam Merritt, beer sommelier, Cicerone, joins us. Okay, back to stout and oysters, Sam. We left off talking about the creaminess of the oyster as the complement to the stout. And I'm going to throw in there that it doesn't just have to be an oyster. It can be anything that brings about the idea of a creamy flavor. Maybe it's steak with a, a mushroom cream sauce. Maybe it's chicken marsala, a really funky, fabulous, rich cheese that's high in butterfat, like a triple cream. Anything that yeah. has that mouthfeel that you can compare to the richness of the roasted malt from the stout, that's really what it's all about. Like a cream-based dessert would do very well, too, as a pairing. The cream-based things, yeah. When you're, when you're dealing with sweetness, you know, and, and creaminess, if you try to do more sweetness and creaminess on it, you're going to 
going to miss out. So if we're going to balance that, we want to go towards things that are bitter. And when you can have bitterness from two things, like the hops in the beer and then also from some roast, then you can turn and, and get some really fun contrast and stuff. But also, uh, you know, we we have to ask ourselves which type of oyster, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how sweet or or meaty that oyster is and how, how salty the brine is and all these things. And then we can come up with, you know, a few different types of pairings with oyster and stout. But, uh, you know, on its most basic level, the most popular prime you'll see, the oyster and the stout, is the dry stout, you know, and, and the oyster together. And, you know, the flesh of oysters is always going to be pretty sweet and the brine is going to be salty. And the, so they have their own balance within them, you know. And then it's just a matter of playing off of those things and, course that sweet creaminess of you know the nitrogenated stout sure you know yeah, harmonizes and resonates you know well sam i'm from the wine pairing school of thought so how would i associate red wine and white wine with an ale or a lager well if we were to just draw a line which is okay to do uh especially when you're trying to make things succinct and not confuse people is just to say you know if you think about the more dynamic of the two uh, it's going to be ales, and it's going to be red wine, you know. And then if you were to think about the more delicate or more sort of apologetic or easier to get to know, it's going to be the lagers and the white wines. And they're just known to be cleaner, known to be more simple and easier to approach, I guess. So you if know? you're a, a lighter wine drinker, you prefer those wines on the lesser side of the spectrum they're lighter, they're easier to drink, they tend to be from white grapes, then you're going to go more toward the lager. And the richer or darker you like to go, you're going to go toward the ales. And then these big Irish beers, um, I often, and I've said to you, Sam, that, you know, I've had many a dinner in Dublin that I was quite privileged Mm -hmm. to sit down to after a huge Guinness. And they said, dinner's ready. And I thought, that was dinner. You know, sometimes these big, huge stouts are rich and creamy enough. And while Mm. I I love to eat and drink and pair, you need to consider the weight of the beer and what it is that you're going to sit down and eat. I'm all for go big or go home. Irish lamb stew, a big extra cold Mm -hmm. Guinness, and then maybe a nap. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about IPAs, Sam, because while they're just a bit off the subject of the Irish holiday upcoming, they're all the buzz here. You know, based in Southern California, where we are, Mm -hmm. a lot of talk about San Diego breweries that are creating new IPAs. And I think there's a little bit of controversy about IPA as well for people to understand exactly what an IPA is, an India Pale Ale, having nothing to do with India or Indian styles. It's a pretty broad category of pale ale. Yeah, you know, the, the the very short history lesson on the IPA is that the strength of the beer and the, the bitterness from the hop or the acidity from the hop uh, turns out to be a natural preservative. And the beers that were called IPAs in the beginning were shipped from England to India mm-hmm. for the Indian market. And that's kind of where everything gets more complicated. But that's the idea is that it's preserved naturally with its own ingredients and it's able to, to make journeys. That said, if you look at the West Coast and some of the first things of the microbrewery movement and the craft beer movement happened out West, particularly in New Albion uh, with the New Albion Brewery and Jack McAuliffe. And Jack McAuliffe, turns out, he got his first yeast from the English brewers. Huh. And the English beers 
especially the pale ales and those traditional IPAs, were some of the first, most exotic beers that were available here in the U.S. in the 70s. There's a lot more available now, though, and you have some favorites. Tons more. Yeah. Yeah, uh, some of the favorites, I mean, uh, you know, just where you guys are. And IPAs should be drunk local and fresh if you can get them, because one of the first things to go during oxidation of beer and staling of beer is the beautiful essential oils that are from the hop that give the, the IPAs their wonderful nose. So you want to drink them fresh. That's the first thing. And if you can do it local, that's even better. So, of course, down in Southern California, we have our friends at Stone. We have North Coast, which is awesome. They put out beautiful. The Red Nectar uh, Ale is one of the best ales in the world, I think. And then you go up the coast, and you've got Lagunitas up in Sonoma, and you've got you know a lot of stuff happening in San Fran. So you guys are just inundated with a lot of lupulin. That's which true. Is, uh, yeah, you should is, you should come out and visit, Sam. In fact, we would Oh, be, I'll be out there uh, for the Craft Brewers Conference uh, the first week in May. Oh, we hope to see you. Maybe we can go by Taps. They have a restaurant yeah. in Brea and Corona. You know Victor Novak, the brewmaster, a friend sure, a friend sure. of this show. He makes some wonderful beers and that's really when you say the opportunity to enjoy a beer fresh, an IPA oh, that's yeah. really very fresh and local. I immediately think of Victor cuz there's nothing yeah. better than a beer at that oyster bar, Lana. Mm-hmm. It tastes like Victor just brewed it, and mm-hmm. that's the beauty yeah. of it. And IPAs will continue to grow in popularity, and we will continue to ask you, Sam, to come and join us and yeah. give us new insight. Last but not least, with about a minute or so left here, you mm-hmm. say we must chill, and that means oh, pull yeah. down our beer uh, fast, faster, or even fastest. If, let's say, yeah. we've run out of time, give us your three tips on uh, okay. chilling it down. Uh, first, if yes. you have a bunch of beer that you need to chill, first thing to do is just, if you have ice on hand and you have some time, put the beer in the container before the ice and put the ice over it. And that's the first, most easiest way. And the, the ice will melt over the beer and create an ice bath in it. And that'll be about 20 minutes. The second fastest way is to turn and just make an ice bath. So fill a container with beer and ice, and then make sure you put uh, enough water in there where it's actually moving. You can move it around. That will chill the beer very fast. Uh, it has a lot to do with conduction. Yes. And it works uh, well with a bottle of wine, the fastest too. way is to make an ice bath, but then add, oh, about maybe a cup or two of very coarse culture salt um, into the bath and move that around. And that fills the beer in about two, two and a half minutes. Right. So you went from 20 cans, minutes. You know, cans are going to go faster, but bottles and cans both both fill very fast that way. 20 minutes to two minutes. You can find more tips on chilling out. Uh, beer, and and so much more at civilizationofbeer.com. He's our beer guru, Sam Merritt, certified Cicerone. We're glad to have you. Happy St. Patty's Day. Thank you for enlightening us to some delicious pairings. We'll toast you next Saturday, Sam. Always, always a pleasure. Thank always. you so much for having me on again. Thank you. Thanks, it's a Sam. pleasure. There's more delicious conversation okay. right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away.
Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. This is a place for people who love to eat. We're loading your plate with ideas, recipes, and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. Take a dip with me into the world of all things food. We'll give you a quick fix of culinary entertainment this hour. Sarah Moulton is stopping by coming up a little bit later, so please stay tuned. She's going to share her tips for weeknight meals and her newest iPhone, iPad, iTouch app. It's totally cool. And you can always find us serving up seconds, including the recipe of the week. And we're honoring St. Patrick's Day as well at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio with delicious conversation every Sunday right here on KFWB News Talk 980. We'll kick off this hour by talking about what a grocery jungle it is out there and how do you know what to buy? Well, we believe that you should know your source. And when you live on the coast of Maine, like Mike Cody does, your life is ruled by water. And therefore, you know that the premium seafood that comes from the Gulf of Maine is something that you just must share with the world. And that's what Mike is doing. In fact, in 2003, he purchased the 86-year-old canning company, the makers of Maine Premium Specialty Seafood. And he has grown that company into a brand called Bar Harbor that we are most fond of. Lana and I uh, just yesterday uh, perused the aisles with 60,000 other people interested in the natural product and food movement at the Natural Products Expo. And we knew that Mike would be there highlighting his all-natural seafood. And we made him our number one of top 10 products found at the Natural Foods Show. And you can find my list, by the way, on Facebook under Chef Jamie Gwen. Um, Fresh from the docks of Maine, Mike and his seafood join us. And we're glad to have you. Good morning, Mike. Well, good morning, Jamie. And good morning, Lana. Uh, Good morning, We're delighted to have you back because there's a lot of conversation about seafood in today's marketplace, and that applies to fresh and the canned version as well. And we've talked a lot, Michael, and uh, Mike, rather, and you know, excuse me, how I feel about having a well-stocked pantry. If you want to make the most of what you have in your cupboard, you pull out a can of Bar Harbor seafood and dinner or lunch is just minutes away. But what's really important is where this where your food comes from what the source is and i think we should start there yeah i agree with you totally jamie i mean uh, what you need to do is to be educated about where your seafood does come from so know and trust your source importantly and you know then make some helpful decisions and intelligent decisions on which species to consume and uh, always there are some that are better than others so it's like any choice um so uh we're very fortunate in having um you know, uh, an operation that is based on the coast of Maine, the very north coast of Maine, I should say, as we butt up right up against Canada. So the Gulf of Maine is an important source of our seafood for us. And uh, it's a safe source and a great source. 
and a sustainable source and one that I know is very important to you as far as keeping those cold waters uh, pure and pristine and plentiful. One of the conversations Lana and I have often, and Lana, this conversation started about honey. If you have ever looked at a bottle of honey, which by the way is the only food in the world that never goes bad. So it has the only, uh, it has the only ability to last forever when it comes to, to, you know, sustaining uh, a shelf product. Uh, Interestingly enough, though, much of the honey in this country does not come from the U.S. And it prompts you to start thinking about where your products come from when you consider that statistic. So you start turning around the cans and the bottles and you see, Lana, on a lot of products you and I talked yesterday, Vietnam, China, right? Mm -hmm. You start to look at the cans of seafood. Have you ever gone, if you're listening in your radio right now, go to your pantry. Have you ever gone to your clam juice bottle and actually looked for the source? Mine says Bar Harbor, by the way. So does yours, right, Mm -hmm. Lana? (laughs) It's made in the USA. Right. And the ingredient says bouillon of clam. And that's what we're all about. There is a lot of product from other places, Mike. Oh, there absolutely are. And again, on the safety note, um, you know, it was interesting. I was reading an article on seafoodnews.com January 5th, and uh, the article was talking about uh, seafood import restrictions uh, by the FDA. The fact that they had jumped dramatically over the period of calendar 2011 and, uh, you know, noting rejections uh, primarily in the areas of uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, and China. Mm. Uh, we believe, again, being, uh, you know, very uh, closely, um, you know, um, onto the source of production from the Gulf of Maine is probably the best thing that we, got, we could possibly do. So our products all come locally, and uh, it, it really does make a difference uh, because obviously we have uh, some very uh, – um, Good operating guidelines, obviously, here in the States to assure food safety uh, for our consumers. And that's what we're all about. We're all about taste, too. And I think that your products actually taste like the place that they come from. And so we know that the white clam sauce is your number one bestseller. And this is a two-ingredient meal. You open a can of all-natural Bar Harbor white clam sauce. You cook up a pound of pasta. And as I like to say, dinner's ready. Yeah. It's just that easy. It is that easy. And if you want to amplify that taste, Jamie, um, use our stocks and cook that pasta where they're so porous and absorbent. Cook these... um, pasta in our stocks into Mm -hmm. our clam juice, and you're really going to amplify that seafood flavor. You know, what a great idea. I've always considered when I make rice or orzo or even some of the whole grains that we're cooking with more than ever, like farro and quinoa, Mike, I've always considered the liquid because I learned a long time ago that water has no flavor. So chicken broth, vegetable stock, always my go-to. But when it comes to pasta, if you want to infuse big, bold clam flavor for linguine with clam sauce, you use clam juice. How cool an idea is that? I love it. That's pretty great. Okay, maybe we should go through the products, too, because, Lana, you have some favorites. Mm -hmm. And talk about what you can do. This is a great protein-packed source. If you keep canned seafood in your pantry, in your office desk drawer, and you're a lover of, you know, smoked mussels, oysters, clams, if you love uh, lobster, you will not taste better than Bar Harbor in a can. That's one of my favorites. It's a great instant lunch. 
you know, sitting at a desk. That it is. Okay, so what do you do with the premium all-natural whole-shell main muscles, Mike? Tell well, us. Well, the muscles, my favorite way is right out of the can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely delectable. But, you know, if you're entertaining and you want to do some very unusual hors d'oeuvres uh, that are from the Gulf of Maine, well, on top of a cracker, a little creme fraiche, uh, you know, sprinkle on your favorite condiment on top of mm, them. Nice. And you've got just a great meal. Uh, mm. Or, as I say, you know, toss them in pasta and, uh, you know, a little lemon and butter. And um, that is absolutely a great dinner. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Mussels mm. on toast, I'm thinking. Mm. You know. Ooh, with a cream sauce. There oh, we go. yeah. Okay, what time will we be over? <laughs> And, and, I, and I'm thinking that we can um, throw in, like you said, some fresh herbs, but you could infuse other flavor as well. And um, I love maple and seafood, and that's one of the things that you um, just started offering, and that is smoked sardine fillets in maple syrup. Yeah, this, this product has been an absolute hit. And really what we tried to do here is create a great seafood offering, fish high in omega-3 protein, something that would be suitable for the breakfast plate. My favorite way is to go ahead and uh, use that particular product alongside eggs on the breakfast plate. Mm. Um, You know, we can have a lot of fun doing some fish uh, tacos, if you will, with some really nice soft shells for early in the morning, maybe a little cheese on there with your eggs all mixed in. I mean, it's just absolutely limitless, the possibilities that you can develop, as you said, right out of your pantry. I love that. We're going to continue to cook from your pantry. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, Mike Cody of Bar Harbor, and your very good taste to stay right here on KFWB News Talk 980. A whole hour of satiation for all you food fanatics out there. You can taste the difference. We're talking about canned seafood. Canned seafood that comes from a U.S. source, made in the USA. And in fact, not made, but sustainably harvested and caught and canned, bottled, and perfect for your pantry. It's a product line called Bar Harbor that we're fans of, fresh off the docks of Maine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, highlighting the best of the natural Foods Expo 2012, a wealth of products that are bringing uh, the world of healthy foods to a very real place. And Mike Cody is the owner of Bar Harbor. We're talking about what to do with canned clams, clam juice, clam sauce. Lana just opened uh, a can of herring. Mike, that is the most delicious thing I've tasted. I love the wild herring fillets and stone ground mustard sauce, Mike. Oh, that's a great one. It is fabulous. Fabulous. And I have put it out at a party with some wine, and I've served on the side uh, lemon wedges and capers and uh, some spicy relish and a wasabi mayonnaise with it. You could really make it into a true uh, appetizer. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, it's so healthy. I Mm -hmm. I like to say omega-3 naturally. I mean, it's just a great source of protein. Uh, you know, people are always amazed that you, know, you can take a simple food like that and make it an elegant hors d'oeuvre offering. 
Yeah, you could make an entire order of bar, really, out of a lot of these products. You could put out some of the wild herring uh, that are in the Cabernet wine sauce. The tomato basil is my favorite. Lana loves the stone ground mustard. Um, you could put out all-natural smoked kippers. You could put out some of the shelled main mussels that we talked about. What to do with clams? We made your clam pizza, and this is a, a probably a year or so ago now, Mike, when we met you, and... Let me just reiterate it's for a, those a clam chowder with an A. Yeah, pizza. thank you. And I stand there corrected. Let me reiterate for those who are going to uh, pine for the recipe for a clam chowder pizza. Yes, you make or buy pizza dough. And I prefer to do this on the grill because I love the smoky flavor that the grill imparts. You spread it out. It can be completely rustic. It doesn't have to be a perfect circle. And you don't have to know how to throw it up the up in the air and twirl it around. But you brush the pizza dough with olive oil, throw it on the grill, a couple minutes on one side, turn it over. And when you have the grilled side up and the underside is cooking, you spread some of the Bar Harbor clam chowder directly from the can on this pizza crust. And you have the ultimate flavor of what everyone loves out of clam chowder on a pizza. And then you just totally jazz it up and make it come alive with chopped crumbled apple wood smoke bacon you could do drizzle of creme fraiche over it chopped chives right mike what else do you put on yours oh i, I like a little onion on mine as well i mean yeah. there's no limitation to oh. what you can possibly do with this but product. it's outrageous oh it, it is and it's so different because again the expectation when you tell folks what you're doing they look at you cross-eyed and you know, why would you possibly ruin a good pizza dough by doing that then when you taste it, it's a combination of those flavors and, you know, the freshness of, you know, the, the clams and the clam chowder, you know, direct from the sea. I mean, it all just comes together in such a nice fashion. Okay, so what other innovative and unique ideas do you have up your sleeve to do with clam chowder or a can of clams or even a, a jar of clam juice? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, an, it's, again, like I said, the possibilities are limitless. The benefit of having great items like that that are within reach, within your pantry, really um, create an opportunity to be as creative as you want. Uh, we've recently done some things um, on uh, Chef's Kitchen TV. We've got Chef Tony Clark doing combination casseroles and pies from our clam chowder. One of the favorite things I think that Tony created for me was, you know, a uh, clam chowder pot pie. And when you stop and think about all the ingredients you have in, in uh, clam chowder, um, it's it's a perfect entity to put into a pot pie. So that you know, so instead of just having a bowl of clam chowder, you can now have a meal of clam chowder that is a little bit different, and uh, you know, with a slightly different taste profile. But yet, you know, again, it's the elegance of how you can present simple foods um, in a very simple fashion. I have the salmon pot pie in front of me, and it's so simple to make, and it's fresh salmon filet along with your salmon chowder and clam juice and a little heavy cream. Nice. It sounds divine, and you could purchase a store-bought crust to throw it all in. Totally simple. You know what I love about this? This is about compounding flavors and about making your dishes come alive with flavor. And if you can find products that really impact 
the flavor profile and the quality of what you're cooking and making it easier and more delicious to put dinner on the table. That's what we're all about. By the way, Lana found that recipe on the Bar Harbor website, and it's barharborfoods.com if you're looking for the clam chowder pizza (laughs) or all the great pot pies. I have a question that came in via Facebook, Mike. And by the way, if you just tuned in, you're late. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio every Sunday here on KFWB along with Lana and Mike Cody joins us from Bar Harbor Foods. Susan wrote to me and asked me to ask you about your best fish cake recipe. What a great question. You could go really high end, Susan, before I let Mike answer and tell you, you could go lobster cake because the lobster in a can from Bar Harbor tastes, I would tell you, almost as fresh or just as close as you will get to a fresh lobster out of the shell. But tell us, what can we do with a fish cake, Mike? Well, again, this is so easy. Um, and, uh, you know, God bless my mom. She had the best yeah. recipe and the best knack for putting together flavors and different profiles. One of the things that uh, she actually did was make this wonderful um, uh, mashed potato product with butter and onions. And the onions, obviously, get cooked in with the butter until they're almost translucent. You mix them in with the mashed potatoes, and, of course, she added a little bit of half-and-half indoor cream. Whip that up. You would take a can, for instance, of our smoked kippers if you want to make a fish cake. And, again, you've got to remember these are naturally, uh, you know, really flavorful because of the smoking process, again, that occurs that that we create on a natural basis. So, again, you mix all of that together. And uh, you put it in a cake, and then you can lightly saute it in a fry pan. You know, I recommend, you know, with a little bit of butter on the bottom that's browned, and uh, turn it over a couple of times and put it on a plate. And, I mean, that's a crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. As you said, you know, we've replicated this with, you know, any of the fish flavors that we have, but the smoked is my favorite. But I've also used clams, and I've Ooh. used, as you said, lobster cakes. Yes. Talk about something elegant. Again, putting maybe a little potato and lobster, you know, with some butter, I mean, that can't be a bad thing on the breakfast <laughs> plate either. Oh, no, not at all. So you've got either a smoked fish potato cake. You could use the seafood from Bar Harbor, the lobster, the clams, the mussels. You could use a combination of fish, a combination of fresh salmon, and the Bar Harbor smoked fish combined would make the ultimate fish cake as well. And Melanie wrote in about baked pasta, which I love. Yes. I bake pastas all the time, and I love using all your sauces, canned sauces, in my baked pastas. Yeah, they, well, Lana, one of my favorites is to use our uh, Newburgh sauce. And I'll make like a lobster mac and cheese. Oh, perfect. And lobster, I'll use our Newburgh sauce as a base. Okay, Mike, never enough time, but if you could bring over some lobster mac and cheese during this next break, I'd really appreciate it. Um, We are great fans, and we appreciate that your all-natural, sustainably sourced Maine, Gulf of Maine seafood um, is really the best. And omega-3, high in protein and calcium, um, we are great fans, and we thank you for sharing your passion and continuing to produce a really impressive product. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for your support. No, and it's always course. a pleasure talking to a couple of fellow foodies. Yes, that it is. We feel the same about you. Well, I have to continue eating my wild herring fillets and stone ground mustard sauce. Yes, and this, I'm going to open you another I will can. Be finishing this can. <laughs> the skinless, boneless, smoked sardine fillets and maple syrup are next. Uh, you can go to chefjamie.com and find recipes and a link to barharborfoods.com. You'll find Bar Harbor on the web. You'll find recipe of the week as well, uh, along with more culinary inspiration on the website, chefjamie.com. When we come back, Sarah Moulton joins us. You know and love her weeknight meals. There's spring inspiration in your radio right after this. Two hours of satiation in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. You're listening to KFWB News Talk 980. Sarah Moulton is the host of PBS's Sarah's Weeknight Meals, and she is all about feeding her family simple recipes that are delicious and healthful. And she has a new iPhone app we are really excited about. Wait till you hear. She is here joining us this morning to share her approach to food and cooking and eating and we're always delighted when Sarah Moulton joins us here on the show. Welcome back, Sarah. How have you been? I'm good, Jamie. Thank you. <laughs> well, very good. Lana and I are glad to have you back. It's been a lot of years on the radio that you very graciously joined us. And in fact, I recall a very early interview with you many, many years ago. And food has come a long way, don't you think? Oh, my God. Has yes. It? Has yes. it ever. It's come all the way to the place of apps. This is true, <laughs> and this is hard for us old folks to embrace this new technology, but that's what we got to do. And that is what we have to do. We're, we're talking about one and working on one, too, and you have Apple behind you. Congratulations. The Sarah's Kitchen iPhone app has 60 easy-to-prepare recipes that are all about encouraging everyone to cook more at home, and that's really, you know, where I come from, too. It's all about comfort food and family and the memories that are made at the kitchen table. Exactly, and, we're, and the place where we communicate. You know, if you've had a bad day, regardless of where you are in the family, to sit down at the end of the day and be able to talk about it, or if you've had a good day, it means a lot. I agree. And, you know, of of all the incredible uh, jobs and experiences in the history and food that you've had at Gourmet Magazine for so many years, it's always interesting to me to read quotes about you on the Internet that say that your greatest joy comes from feeding your children and your husband in your own kitchen. Well, you know, I grew up that way, and so did my husband. You know, that's not when we met each other. That wasn't the first thing that we agreed upon. But we just, it's very, very important to us. And I think, you know, even though it's a little hard when the kids were little now, of course, they're grown-ups, but getting them to sit still, you have to start somewhere. And um, I don't know, it's still the core of our family, and I still look forward to it every day, even though I'm the one who is cooking dinner. Sometimes I wish somebody else was. Yeah, well, we certainly understand that. Lana and I will take turns or cooking together. We love that family time as well, so we can certainly relate. We'll get back to the app because there are a couple of recipes you shared. Um, One of them, chicken and caramelized fennel, I can't wait to talk about. But your PBS series is in its second season. And if you would, I would love to give you some topics. If you would share some tips to help get dinner on the table during the work week, because you believe it's very possible. I do. But, you know, the, the most important thing would be planning. You know, nobody's going to get dinner on the table on a Tuesday night if they go to the supermarket after work. That just isn't happening. I mean, or it would, but it'd be frozen dinners or, you know, just a rotisserie chicken. And believe me, I love rotisserie chicken. But if you really want to make, you know, good dinners from scratch, mostly you have to plan. And that means finding a day, whatever your day off is or one of your days off, take an hour 
and sit down and come up with a plan. Now, even if it's just, I refer to it as a Chinese menu, five items in column A, column B, column C. Um, So column A would be some form of protein, column B would be some form of vegetable, and column C could either be, depending if you have somebody like my son who did a lot of sports, we needed starch, you know, some basic carbs. Or column C could be five more vegetables. Um, and, And then as long as you have column A, column B, column C on your list and you go to the grocery store and you follow the list and you bring those things home, you know, at that point, it's Monday night, at least when you open the fridge and the cupboards, you've got something for each of those columns. You're not starting with your brain like, oh, what am I going to make for dinner? Um, so at least having the ingredients in-house will really, really help you to get dinner on the table. I agree. What day do you shop? Sunday. Sunday. I mean, uh, well, actually, I'll be really honest with you. Now I don't shop. <laughs> I do virtual shopping. Virtually you shop. Yeah. We have a um, company called Fresh Direct. I, there's other similar companies around the country. One's called Peapod, I've heard about, where they have everything online. And what I love about Fresh Direct, they also have local and organic Mm. It's definitely seasonal. They, they definitely highlight that stuff and specials so that when something's a few days old and, you know, they have to turn it over, they'll really lower the price. So I mainly do my shopping from there, but I still get organized the way I used to. Sure. And you're far more techie than you give yourself credit for <laughs> if you're virtually shopping. Now, Lana and I are Bristol Farms fans and have been a long time, the gourmet supermarket here in Southern California. Nice. They're a very proud supporter and sponsor, as we are very proud to have them, of this show. And they you have an... So- Spoiled in California. Oh, we are. Do you know every New York chef friend of mine, like yourself, says exactly the same thing? Because I say, asparagus are coming, and they say, it's snowing. I mean, (laughs) I I understand the envy. I mean, I'll send you whatever you want, Sarah, but it's true. We are very, very spoiled. But farmers markets across the country have gotten better than ever. And we try to stop at one during the week. And then I do my shopping on Saturday because I. I like to cook on Sundays. So I'm at Bristol Farms on Saturday scoping it out. And then on Sunday, we're creating some sort of Sunday supper and planning for the week. Well, Mm -hmm. see, that's the other thing that's really smart is to do cooking on Sunday. You know, again, for people who work Monday through Friday, they might not want to be cooking if that's their only downtime. But if they enjoy cooking or they can put on some nice music or hang out with the family while they cook, I think it's great to get a stew or soup or several things like that into the fridge or into the freezer because, God, there's nothing more fun than coming home and and having something already cooked that you just heat up. Oh, I agree. It certainly makes the night less stressful and the days are stressful enough. One of your episodes in the new series on PBS is all about Sunday comfort meals. So tell us your best Sunday dish for dinner, let's say, tonight. Sunday, I think, is a time that, again, you can take a little more time to make a dish. So one of my favorites, and I did did do it on the show, is this zucchini dish with stuffing under the skin, and it was a complete revelation. It's a roast chicken, a whole roast chicken, and you take zucchini and you shred it. It's so funny. I don't really like zucchini, but I use it a lot. (laughs) And the reason I do like it when I treat it the right way, because it's sort of watery and bland, but what I do is I shred it and salt it for starts, and then squeeze it. So you get rid of all that excess liquid. And then it gets sautéed with onions and combined with a few cheeses, Parmesan ricotta, Mm. and uh, there's probably a few other things in there, and gets stuffed under the skin of the chicken. A whole chicken, Sarah? A whole chicken, like a a broiler or roaster. A roaster, sure. Three and a half pounder. Okay. And, um, And then you just roast it, and 
what happens, and this is the revelation part of it, besides the fact that those are just ingredients, you know, nice ingredients, is the zucchini stuffing under the skin so insulates the chicken Mm -hmm. that it is the most moist chicken. And it made me think, wow, what's the other thing that everybody has a hard time with once a year that is so dry that's poultry? Turkey. Sure. I was thinking to myself, I should do it with turkey. The only thing is, because of the cheese and the stuffing, it tends to brown a lot, so you have to cover it for part of the time. But anyway, that's one of my favorite. Oh, that has to taste delicious. I don't mean to interrupt you. I got excited. When you said that it gets all brown and golden, that means that the moisture in the zucchini keeps the chicken really juicy. But then the cheese caramelizes. The zucchini has to cook and caramelize and get golden brown as well. Now it has like sort of a crust underneath the crust. Right. Although, no, it's not all crusty. It's it's somewhat moist. Um, but it it does make the skin get even darker. Sounds yeah. yummy. Yeah, I love, I'm all about skin. That's why I like to carve the turkey alone. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody out of the kitchen. Yes. Lana, that sounds delicious. Oh, I'll join yeah. you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That one's a little more labor-intensive. Another fun recipe I have. And also, I think I'm giving everybody license to have something a little more fattening on a Sunday night because mostly... I try to keep it down, the fat, the calories, the whole nine yards, and make it healthy. But on Sundays, I think it's nice to have one thing where you're stepping out and being a little naughty. So one of the things that I might make is this thing called Odd Lots Mac and Cheese. And my husband came up with that title. Um, Odd Lots, right? Odd Lots Mac and Cheese. Because, I don't know about you all, I do like cheese. So we always have cheese in the house. I always have Parmesan. I often have cottage cheese. Um, sometimes I usually have cheddar cheese. My daughter loves aged Gouda. Let's say somebody came over for dinner and maybe I got a really nice brie or some robiolo or something like that. But at any rate, I have these little, sometimes I have these little bits and pieces of cheese mm. and I don't know what to do with them. Yes. And so I just made this one size fits all recipe, including cream cheese you could throw in there. And basically, for the recipe, you can use anywhere between 8 and 12 ounces of cheese. I use 8 ounces. And, you know, all the other usual suspects. And you make a, a mac and cheese just using all those. It could be blue cheese. Yes. It could be, it could and, be goat cheese. It yes, could it, be a little of everything. Gorgonzola, Dolce, that's anything. Exactly right. That's yeah, that, exactly right. So that's a fun one. And also, I've gotten much thriftier since the economy's gotten so interesting. And um, try to behave more like a European, or at least when I worked in France, what I learned from the French, which is to use everything. I think we waste a lot of food. You know, we buy food and then it sort of sits in the fridge and then we don't use it up. So this is a great way to use up those little odd bits of cheese. Definitely so. And we're behind you. We've talked over the many months and years and so on since the economy has been altered about waste, not want, not. I was raised by Lana that way and I'm not always brilliant at it, but I'm working at being better at it and I have found wonderfully useful ways to use up things in the fridge. When you look at the numbers as to what we waste in this country and how many people go hungry, if you keep that in mind, you'll use up the small bits of cheese in your drawer. We use them for frittatas. Sarah, and that's a great way to use them up as well. But mac and cheese sounds really good right now. We're going to take a quick break. There's more fun and fabulous recipes for weeknight meals and Sunday suppers with Sarah Moulton right after this, her second season of Sarah's Weeknight Meals on PBS and more about her iPhone app coming up. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana, Sarah Moulton, and you right here as the delicious conversation continues after this. Strawberry. 
This is a place for people who love to eat. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, joined this morning at the table by Sarah Moulton, who is spicing up your recipe repertoire, as she does on her second season of her PBS show called Sarah's Weeknight Meals, and as she's doing in her new iPhone app called Sarah's Kitchen. All right, so we're prepared for Sunday supper tonight, but when it comes to midweek, Sarah, you did a show on sandwiches, and Lana and I watched intently to every layer you placed on the bread, because we are sandwich divas, I like to say. Yes, I love sandwiches, oh. and I'm so glad the food police has gotten away from that one. You know? Yes, I am too. Oh, Thank you. Good mention. So awful. You know, oh, I mean, they true. wouldn't let us eat eggs and no fat of any kind. You know, uh, please. And they were changing the bread. and Okay, oh. so tell us your ultimate sandwich. Oh, geez, there's so many. You know, it's funny, because uh, <laughs> just as you were talking, I was looking at my app, and I came up with a cheese sandwich souffle, which Ooh. is actually a throwback to my grandmother. And it's a really sort of a combination of things. So you, you make a sandwich uh, with cheese, either prosciutto or ham, and then you, make, uh, you beat some eggs and milk, and, and you pour it over these sandwiches and let them sit, and then you bake them. Okay, oh, so this is beginning to sound... Fabulous. Incredible. Yes, I agree, Lana. And like your French influence, uh, croque monsieur, croque madame. Yes. Yes. That sort of thing. So Custard. those are really wonderful. But, um, you know, a fun one in my cookbook, it, and I imagine you've done it because there you are in California, you all do everything first out there. <laughs> but I have one with roasted vegetables, uh, grilled vegetables, and homemade ricotta cheese. I also have a catfish BLT, and I like that one a lot. Ooh. Okay. N- now a great take on a po' boy. What's the spread? I have to go back and see what I decide. I'm sure it's mayonnaise-based because I'm a mayonnaise lover. So are we. Cheese yeah. and mayonnaise. Oh. We were meant to be friends, yes. all of us. <laughs> yes. yes, it's right up there, and it seems to creep its way into all sorts of things. So what I did is um, I took take the helmets and I combine it with basil, lemon zest, and salt in a blender oh. and, and pulverize it. And normally I wouldn't do that to a nice piece of basil. But, you know, bruising it with the mayonnaise really brings out all its flavor, and it does end up pretty nicely green. Oh, how lovely. And then it's all the other usual things. So it's good, crusty bread, and then um, catfish that's lightly uh, bread and sautéed, and then with bacon and tomato, and yeah, Mm. all that stuff. Yeah. That's another fun one. And you've also done a pulled chicken barbecue uh, with quick homemade pickled cucumbers? Yeah. That's right up my alley. Oh, perfect sandwich. Well, I love pickles, uh, particularly quick pickles. I'd never do the other kind because I'm sure I'd kill somebody. But, you know, you just, they're so easy to do. And they are. And it's a nice counterbalance to the barbecue sauce, which generally tends to be a tad sweet. Yes. And, and we love a cloyingly sweet barbecue sauce. And we have a quick pickle recipe on the website um, that we love to share too, Sarah. So if you ever want to share a pickle recipe, um, Sarah did share, of course, because she's just like that. She's Sarah Moulton. And she shared two grand recipes with us, which we've posted at chefjamie.com. And we're very glad to have there. You will find from her most recent cookbook, a chicken and caramelized fennel recipe that looks to die for. That one has no cheese. No. Sarah, well done. I have quite a few that don't. Yes. And a spring soup as uh, well that you shared. Yes. With bread dumplings. Um, And the, the caramelized fennel one, the last, I worked in restaurants for seven years after graduating from cooking school, and the last restaurant I worked at was a wonderful restaurant in New York called La Tulipe, and she had chicken on the menu with fennel, so this is sort of a takeoff on that. But what I discovered there, and I'm sure you know this, is that when you slice fennel and then saute it and then, uh, you know, cook it till it's, it's sort of 
falling apart. Mm. It just gets so lovely and intensely flavored. And, yes. Mm. And, it takes um, on a sweetness. Oh, it love. does. And the anise flavor, if you're not a licorice lover, I think is a bit more sublime and subtle that way. And yes. you could ease yourself into loving fennel. I love it raw off the bowl. Then I'll shave it into salads. But I like to roast it the same. Or if you're roasting root vegetables, it's always a nice addition. I agree. I agree. Beautiful. Oh, I can't wait to make that. And then you have Lana hooked on uh, oh, bread dumplings. I cannot dumplings. wait to make this spring soup with bread dumplings. Well, well, it's really fun because for those of us who are sort of baking and paired, that would be me, although I do it anyway. But, or you know, dumplings aren't necessarily come naturally to us. To be able to make a dumpling, this is sort of an old Italian technique where you sort of take breadcrumbs and you moisten them and add, you know, some other ingredients, and then that's all it is. They're the base of the dumplings, and mm-hmm. then you end up poaching them in the chicken broth that has all those yummy sort of spring vegetables in it. It's just a very nice combination. It's four ingredients. It's it sounds eggs, foolproof. breadcrumbs, parmesan, and some chopped parsley. Yes. I'm changing the it's name, fabulous. Sarah. It's now your spring soup with foolproof bread dumplings. Yes, there you mm-hmm. go. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell us, very exciting, back to the app. You oh, have... I just bought it. How I, nice. I went to the app store. Talk about a techie. I went to Sarah's kitchen and bought her app. Well, then allow me to enlighten you to the fact that you just got 60 easy-to-prepare recipes that are perfect for home cooks and that you can prepare something new for your family without breaking the bank or spending hours in the kitchen because Sarah and I have already dished about the app. I'm loving that. Well, thank you. Yes. Both. Yeah. Okay, I- so tell us about the, the app itself. We know you're very proud of it. Well, I am because I did it. Meaning I, I hired two young women. Um, one is my web designer, and the other one is a young photographer named Jessica Liebowitz, who has a website called My Camera Eats Food. She's one of my daughter's good buddies, and I hired both of them. And Jessica Liebowitz and I shot the whole thing in my house, which is why it's called Sarah's Kitchen. And so I, I picked the recipes. Uh, they're from my, the best of all of my recipes. And then I styled them, not only food styled them, but prop styled them because... You know, I still have at the back of my mind that this is part of a meal. You know, current food photography is to shoot the corner of a plate and have a fork in it and crumbs, and it's like modern art. And I'm like, no, I want it to look like there's a family and there's a meal. So we had to pull back so that there could be a little prop in there or a little tablecloth or a napkin or a little thing of flowers. The trouble is it's all little because an iPhone is tiny. That's true. So if I wanted to have a glass of wine, I had to use a cordial glass, you know. And if I wanted to have, I had, there's a shot, uh, it's buffalo chicken rice, and it's five, it's in the five ingredient chapter. And um, I wanted to have these little, I wanted to put a cactus in it, but I had these teeny little cactus, cacti, I guess is the plural, that are only like two inches high in the oh, background. Oh, too fun. You, it, so it, to me, it was sort of fun. It was like playing house. But I really enjoyed the whole process of, styling the food and, and styling the photos and sort of trying to set up an atmosphere so that when people look at it, they'll really want to make it. You wow. know? And it's set up like many apps where you can um, just download the uh, grocery list and then you put it into your basket and then you can cross it off. When you go to the grocery store, there's a mechanism where as you buy things, you cross them off on, the, um, on your iPhone. And then, uh, of course, there's the videos, which are more techniques like how to cut a butternut squash in half without killing yourself so that's a good one sarah (laughs) i I like that one yeah i i think it's terrific that it's completely interactive as well and you can ask sarah directly your culinary questions and she'll 
reach out to mm-hmm. you as well through the app. So congratulations to you. Thank we you. think it's just terrific. Sarah's Kitchen iPhone app now available from chef, cookbook author, and TV personality Sarah Moulton. Uh, it's called Sarah's Kitchen, and you have to look up Sarah without the H. Thank you. For those that don't know, mm-hmm. Sarah's Kitchen. Much. Yes, of course. And you can find more recipes aside from the two that Sarah has shared with us that are at chefjamie.com. Go directly to Sarah Moulton, S-A-R-A-M-O-U-L-T-O-N.com to learn more. Sarah, it's always a pleasure, and we look forward to seeing you in New York soon. Thank you, Jamie and Lana. Um, yes, thank of course. You. We'll talk to you soon. There is a food photo contest going on, by the way, that we want you to know about. Please share your travel food photos with us all month long in our new foodie photography contest. You can search your travel photos online, you know, search your photo archives and share your memorable food experiences with us. We want to see your best food photography from around the world. The top three finalists will take home a $50 Bristol Farms gift card and the contest is happening all month. So enter your food photos by emailing live at chefjamie.com. We want to mention to you, by the way, that our live broadcast at Bristol Farms with the Melissa's food crew has um, had a date change and please stay tuned the date to follow will probably be end of April but we hope you'll come out and join us for our next live broadcast from Bristol Farms in Newport Beach we'll be announcing the winners of that food photo contest as well and again you email them to live at chefjamie.com there's something else you can email to live at chefjamie.com for if you would like a fabulous recipe for corned beef hash love it it's wonderful but this this is done with shredded potatoes. Perfect. And very much in time for St. Patty's Day. You can celebrate the Emerald Isle with more recipes. We'll post it as well at chefjamie.com. We want to let you know that in its 15th year, Chalk Follies is currently in rehearsal for its new original musical comedy. And we always support the efforts of Gloria Zigner, our dear friend, and her millions of dollars in fundraising. Tickets are still available. Go to chalk, C-H-O-C, org, And be sure to join us next Sunday here and in your radio. This is all about making your life better, our goal through food and lifestyle. And so we have a technology update for you. You're going to want to know about the world of food when it comes to technology next Sunday right here. We're also sharing the virtues of Lodge Cast Iron with their new cookbook and Vic Casanova of Kalina at the Four Seasons. Beverly Hills will join us with spring inspiration. Until then, check out the website at Chef J Jamie.com. Don't miss the Bristol Farm special and meet us here next Sunday for more delicious conversation. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. We thank you for listening and we hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.